Okay, guys, so we are uh, continuing our Ask Anything series today. And today the question is, how do I share my faith? Now, if you're like me, you hate it when people try to sell you stuff, right? So, for example, this past week, I was in, I had this, this room in the front of my house. It's my office, but it's also a guest bedroom, and it's at the front of the house, and it's got really big windows. I can see out on the sidewalk of my house. And I'm typing out this sermon on Tuesday, and I see a guy walk up my sidewalk, and he's walking towards my front door, and he's carrying a clipboard. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be sold anything today. And so you know what I did? I went and hid. I literally got behind the bed in the guest bedroom, because he can kind of see into the room. And I was like, I was like hiding behind like, don't knock on my door, don't knock on my door. I'm not, I'm serious. I really did this. Because I hate the awkward conversation when someone's trying to tell you, sell you something you don't really want, and you're trying to figure out a way to like get out of the conversation. So I hate the people, not the people, I hate it when people try to come and, and, and knock on my door and try to sell me stuff. But what's strange is I also am uncomfortable whenever I go into the grocery store and you see the, the sample people, like they're giving out free samples in the grocery store, like H-E-B or Sam's. And you can, I can even want what they're giving out free samples of. And I can want the item they're trying to get rid of. But it's the awkward conversation you have to have with this person when they try to sell you the product, right? And they could be giving out chips and queso, whatever it might be. And there are times in the past where I have my kids with me. And, and the kids are great because like, they're like an excuse for getting the free sample, but not feeling obligated to buy anything. So my kids were walking through, and, and I'm like, the kids are like, can I, can I have one of those? I'm like, yeah, sure, you can have five or six if you want. And, uh, and the person always does the same thing. They, 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 they look at you and say, you know, you can, you can get a whole box of these over here for $8.99. I'm sitting there going, I'm just trying to feed my kids dinner, all right? That's what I'm trying to do here. And, uh, and so it's just, I, I don't like it when I have to have the awkward conversation with someone. They're trying to sell you something, and you don't really want that, whatever they're trying to sell. And you've got to find a way out of the conversation. Now, unfortunately, this is how many people have come to see sharing your faith. Like, it's just a sales pitch. And it can feel very awkward and strange sometimes. And uh, we're going to really kind of walk you through today um, just the basic idea on the things you would need to cover with someone if you're sharing the gospel with them. But my hope is that you wouldn't see it as some awkward sales pitch. There should be a relational component to this natural conversation, and it should flow naturally into your friendship with them and in your relationship with them, and should not sound like you're just some salesperson trying to sell Jesus to someone who has no interest or desire to hear what you have to say. And uh, so unfortunately, we can't cover all of that today. We're gonna walk through some major points but we do an equip group on this about every four years. I think it's going to be coming up next year. And it's on how to share your faith. And we talk a lot more about how you do the relational component that I think is so necessary um, with sharing your faith. So this question for today fits perfectly because today we're having a Houston mission trip meeting. And when I opened up our training session for today, this was the title, How Do I Share My Faith? So what I've done is I've taken the outline that they gave us in the training today and decided to kind of add some stuff to it and walk everyone through this, not just the Houston team later on today, 
and so you guys can all benefit from some of their, uh, their information. Now, some of you guys asked the question, how do I share my faith with friends? Well, others asked the question, what about someone of a different religion? Well, this will apply to both today. I think we're all made in his image. There's not a whole lot of difference there. But I also think that if you have a friend who's of a different faith entirely and they proclaim that, I think it's actually easier to share your faith with them because they are more open sometimes to the conversation of like, hey, what do you believe? And they can share what they believe. And you can say, hey, can I share with, we, with you what I believe? And it's like an open door for a, a really good conversation with someone who might be of different faith. Where I find it most difficult is when you're talking to someone about the Christian faith and they're just a lot like you and they, they, maybe they're from here, they've been raised in the Christian culture, the Bible book culture that we call it, and they might even claim to be a Christian, but you're like, I don't really think they have a true faith, but how do I convince them that they're not really a believer before I share faith with them? How do I do that? That's probably the hardest thing to navigate um, when you're diving into these kind of conversations. So we started Impact Signups today, and I know that most of you are accustomed to the Impact Gospel Illustrations. I would not recommend trying those on your high school friends, all right? Imagine taking off your shoe in the lunchroom and saying, this hand is God, this hand is mankind, and my shoe represents sin. That just wouldn't go over well to that age group, I don't think. And uh, I don't recommend you, that you do that. But that works for teaching groups of kids, but your approach with friends, I think, should be a little bit different. The same message, but a different method. So today we're going to cover some big ideas that should be crystal clear, but your approach should be more conversational and more relational and shouldn't really feel like a, a, a prepackaged sales pitch towards someone. So if you recall in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where, what Jesus told his disciples and also, of course, us, he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I don't want you to think of this question simply as, how do I share my faith? But think of this question. How do I make disciples? Now, sharing your faith is part of that, but don't think of it as just, how do I share my faith? Think of the bigger question, how do I make disciples? Because sometimes people have no knowledge of the gospel, and you've got to share everything with them. But other times, they might have some context or some understanding. They might already be a Christian, but they need gospel clarity and gospel understanding and how it relates to their life. So the big picture here is make disciples. So that might be, I would still consider like you having lunch with a friend who might be considering themselves a follower of Christ, but they just need gospel understanding. And that's more of a discipleship question or discipleship understanding. I still include that. That's still part of the Great Commission. That's still part of making disciples. Sharing your faith with somebody who's not a believer at all, of course, is a part of making disciples. But don't think of it as like just over here you have, you know, evangelism. Over here you have discipleship or sanctification. I think right here Jesus shows us that part of making disciples is to teach people what the gospel really is and how it should apply to their lives. Whether it's an unbeliever, a new believer, or a maturing believer. 
So there are times when if I'm in a conversation with someone, I, they might already be a Christian, but my job is more to just figure out, you know, hey, where, where, where might the, the gaps be in their understanding of the gospel and about Jesus? So we know sharing our faith can, can seem like a scary proposition. And we think the disciples, of course, because many of them gave their lives for this gospel message, we think that they didn't struggle with fear. Well, look at the last statement here that Jesus says in this verse. He says, I am with you always. Do you think it's coincidental that right when Jesus gives this great commission, that he says this statement, that last statement, he says, I am with you always. He knows they're going to need his presence with them through the Spirit to be with them, to give them courage and strength that they need to, to share this message with, with other people. So we're going to go through all the elements that you might need to share with someone if they had no knowledge about the gospel. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that you pull out some outline, but I'm saying you cover these general ideas with someone who has no clue about this gospel message. So here's part one, the gospel, and we'll start with the character of God. You know, sometimes we tell people the gospel by just starting with sin, and I understand why we start it that way, but it's best to start with God and start with his character. There are many passages we could look at, and you're going to find some on your handout. I've got, like, there's two sides to the handout I gave you. One of them is just an outline of what I'm covering with you this morning, and you guys can kind of write out some of your own things on there later on today if you want. But the other side of it is at the end of a book by J. Max Stiles, who puts a very similar thing together for you. It's just written a little bit differently. It's just two different versions of that, but they're very similar on the, on the front and back side of that piece of paper I gave you at your, at your seats. But we're gonna, uh, I'm going to cover a couple of passages in 1 John, and they actually fit nicely with, with my talk two weeks ago in the main service. You'll hear some of that theme uh, as well today. But 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the people that John's writing to, they believe some strange things. And they believe that what they do in their body doesn't affect them spiritually. But it's not that strange because that's what many of us believe. Many of us believe that what I do with my eyes, what I do with my body, doesn't really affect me spiritually. And John is writing to correct that misunderstanding and that sinful error here in 1 John. He's reminding them that God is light, that God is holy, and there's no darkness, there's no sin in him at all. So we start with God's character, who God is, his goodness, his holiness, because many people question that. If you're talking to an unbeliever, it, very often they may have a story to tell and say, you know, I was raised in the church but I really just fell away or didn't really believe that because of something that happened to me or in my family or in my life. And many may even verbalize some anger at God because he allowed something awful to enter into their own life or their family's life. They might believe he exists, but they might just be angry at him. And they may talk about him in that way. Or some reject the whole idea of a God because of what may have happened to them. But deep down, they're just angry at him if you really get down to it. So that's why it's important, I think, to start with this idea that God is holy. In God's character, he is good. And in him, there is no darkness. We start with God's character. So God's place is understanding, I think, within us that there is a way things are supposed to be. And 
our world doesn't measure up to that. We all have an understanding of that. And I think we get that from God because God is perfect and God is holy and God is good. And so we have, this, we have the standard of, of goodness, a standard of way, the way things are supposed to be. But, of course, our world, ourselves, we fall short of that. So we start with God's character. Then we go to the sinfulness of man. And this is the next verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, If we say we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So the people that John's writing to, they have this misunderstanding that they can, that they can walk in darkness and walk in sinful lifestyles while saying that they have fellowship with God. And John is writing to correct that, that sinful error. So to, to walk in darkness means to, to willfully and continually walk in sin. Not the same thing as struggling with sin. Everyone struggles with sin. Even if you're a Christian, you struggle with sin. But it is to willfully and continually walk and live in sin. Of course, we know that before coming to know Christ, we all are walking in sin. But the thing that John's addressing is once someone claims to be a Christian, there are these people that are still walking and living in it, but also claiming to be followers of his. So it's really important you understand, of course, even before someone comes to know Christ, they are in this state of lostness and living and walking in sin. This also means that we're blind, we can't even see our sin. But once someone comes to know Christ, they really should no longer walk in sin, live in sin. We struggle with it, but we should no longer walk and live in it because of our newfound identity in Christ. You know, I had a, I had a student a long time ago, and you know, I were having lunch one day, and we're talking about just things that we watch, what we put in front of our eyes, mainly through television and stuff like that. And he said to me, he goes, you know, I really can watch almost anything. It can even have some pornography in it, and it just doesn't really affect me. He goes, I don't find myself really falling into sin and lust whenever I do that. And I, I began to push back and say, I don't think that's humanly possible. But this is, this is someone, I think, who has grown so numb to sin. They're walking in darkness. They're walking and living in sin. And I think we can struggle. We think that we've graduated, like we've matured beyond the struggle sometimes. And we, we can live with this separation, thinking that, you know, whatever I do with my eyes or with my body, doesn't really affect me spiritually. Well, you might just be numb to the effects of sin. You might just be so far down that road that you're just, you're just kind of numb to its effects now. And you don't realize how it's really hindering your fellowship with God. And that's walking in darkness. And if you look at the end of this verse here, he says, if we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You and I often see truth as just an idea to believe. But John says, truth is to be practiced. It's to be lived out. It should lead to something looking different in your life. And then we have the sufficiency of Christ in verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So you need to understand, of course, the, our sinfulness, but the next verse talks about the sufficiency of Christ. And how that when you bring your sin to him in surrender, that he is sufficient 
if you're placing your faith and trust in his finished work for you on the cross and also in his resurrection, that his, his death, his burial, his resurrection is sufficient for you. One of the problems we struggle with in Christianity is they're the people who are only focused on their sin and they diminish the grace and mercy of Jesus. Then there are those who only want to focus on the grace and mercy and not really understand the gravity of our sin. We've got to have both and. Because when you diminish the reality of our sin, you're also diminishing the reality of his grace and mercy and the cross. You need to keep both. But there's a way to live in freedom as a Christian. Once you become a Christian, there is a, you need to, to latch on the last phrase of this verse, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, recognizing that he is sufficient for you, that his death, his burial, his resurrection is sufficient for you. It also says here this idea that walking in the light, it says we have fellowship with one another. So not just with God, but we walk in the light to have true fellowship with each other in community. So sin separates us from God, but also separates us from one another. And I'll admit to you, like right now, I love these Sunday mornings. I love our Wednesday nights. And, and I see a lot of people coming here, but there are times when I question how healthy our community is. There are things that I'm, I'm just currently in discussion with with our leaders, just continual discussions about just, hey, how is your grade doing? And those are ongoing discussions. Some are doing okay. Some not so great. And part of our job here is to help disciple and shepherd you, understanding that when the gospel has penetrated a community, it leads to fellowship with one another centered around that gospel. And when that's not happening or that's unhealthy, it's because we're failing to apply the gospel to our fellowship and to our relationships. And so we're going to continue praying and having those conversations as we continue trying to, to shepherd many of you. Because I understand, I mean, what's said on this stage, this is 5% of what we do up here. This is 5%. The rest of it is that personal conversation, one-on-one, uh, our leaders meeting with you in their groups and having those real-life conversations and seeing how you're doing. And that's the part we care most about. So you knowing the gospel, trusting Jesus and his sufficiency is going to lead to fellowship with one another. And that should be healthier or moving towards health, so to speak. Now, when someone first becomes a believer, they have this new sensitivity to, towards sin or to understanding about sin. I know it's hard. If, you're, if you consider yourself a new Christian or a new follower of Christ, you have probably recognized in your life that I had this new sensitivity. I'm, I'm seeing all the bad, and that's kind of making me depressed. That might be where you are today. And that's actually okay. Don't think of that as a bad thing. Don't think of that as maybe I'm not a Christian because I, I see all the, the struggle. I see all my sin. I, I never saw my sin before. That might actually be the greatest sign that you're a Christian because you now have the Holy Spirit showing you 
and revealing in your conscience the things that you never saw before. So don't let that discourage you, but let it make you run to the sufficiency of Christ, knowing that he is enough for you. When I first became a Christian, I guess I, I saw spiritual growth kind of like this just continual incline, like you just get better and better and better and better. That's how I thought about it. Now I see it more like a, what I call a sideways V, so that, yeah, there can be some growth and some improvement, of course, in our lives, but there's also this here, which is, as I grow in Christ, I begin to understand my sin more and more and more and more, and the depth of my sin becomes all the more apparent. So as you grow in Christ, your understanding of sin will sort of, you start to understand, I'm not, I'm not worthy. But that shouldn't drive you to depression. It should drive you to the sufficiency of Christ, understanding what this verse is saying, that his blood cleanses us from all sin. So you've got to understand the, the, the sufficiency of Christ as you understand the gospel. Next we have the necessity of faith. Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, where it says, Because if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So faith is more than simply believing some facts about Jesus. Listen, even Satan and the demons believe some things about Jesus. Well, there's no fellowship with God. So believing, the, believing in the heart means to believe in such a way that it affects how you live. Belief in the heart is going to lead to this confession with the mouth, initially in surrendering to him, but also continually as you live on mission and sharing your faith. And then lastly, we have the urgency of eternity. Romans 6, 23, where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is a wage? So a wage is something that you earn. How many of you guys, you have jobs? How many, raise your hand, if you have a job, raise your hand. Any kind of job. So when someone, when you get a job, you agree to a wage, maybe an hourly wage, and you earn what you get. You work a certain amount and you get what you earn. So that's a wage. So the Bible says here that because of our sin, we're born into sin, we are owed death, not just physical, but also spiritual. That means eternal separation from God. But look at the contrast, but the free gift. So how is a gift different than a wage? A wage is something that you earn, something you deserve, but a gift cannot be earned. A gift is freely given to us. So the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we earn a wage, but a gift can't be earned. So we don't place, listen, we don't place our faith in Christ just to improve our life in the here and now. Because when you become a Christian, things may actually get worse for you, or at least on the surface. We receive the gift because it's, we believe it's true, but also because we desire to be with him for eternity. Now, someone can know all these passages or believe some facts about Jesus, but you also need to have a story. That means a testimony about how this has impacted and affected your life. I don't want to call it, you know, embarrass him, but I went this past week to CTCS to hear uh, Will give his testimony. Is he in here today? Somewhere? Over here? Yeah. And it was, um, it was really cool to hear you share that. And, uh, but it was an example of someone getting up and sharing 
here's how the gospel has impacted my life. That's what a story, it's what, it's what a testimony is. And I love hearing people's stories. One of my favorite things to do whenever I meet with people for the first time is say, hey, tell me your story, like your faith story. And they're all so different. And they're also, it's just amazing to hear people, how they came to know Christ. Some in really tough backgrounds. Some in abusive situations. Some in church environments where you say, how did you come from that particular community or church and yet somehow God brought you out of that and you became a genuine believer. And it's a miracle of God to hear those stories. But you need a story. And listen, whenever I talk to people sometimes, especially doing like a baptism interview with someone, I'll often hear things like, you know, yeah, I, you know, I say, so tell me your story, how you came to faith. And I might hear something like, well, I just, I don't know, I just feel like Jesus helps me with my life. And I get what they're saying, but I really think you've got to have an understanding of, like, how do you realize, like, what you need him for? It's not just to improve your grades. It's not just to make your life better. It's not just to help you in your dating relationship with someone. But you have this fundamental, I have this fundamental need for a Savior because of my sin. And that's where, that's where it needs to be, the understanding needs to be when it comes to um, our story. So I'm like walk you through this very quickly. So there is part two, sharing my story. And these aren't mean to, meant to be like one word fill in the blanks. This is meant to be like, you can write a paragraph about these. But for your story, I was awakened to my need for a savior by, okay, for you, what would that be? Who might it be? This could be a series of events. It could be people who influenced your life. It could be things you've read, things you've listened to. When have you been awakened to your need for a savior? And then secondly, I realize that God is, and this is his character, we're not looking for one word answers, but aspects of his character. So what do you believe about God? God is holy. He is the creator. He is loving. He is just. Next we have, I realized I was separated from God because, okay, because of my sin. That's our main problem. You know, some want to see other people as their main problem or life circumstances, or things happening out there in the world, but that's not what separates us from God. It's my sin problem that does. Next, I came to understand that Christ, that he's the only way to the Father, that he died for my sin, he reconciles us to God, he rose from the dead, and he came to give us life. And then lastly, I responded to the good news of Christ's death and resurrection by surrendering to him, by confessing my sin to him, by repentance, which means to turn away from my sin and turn towards Jesus recognizing that following him is costly, and it's going to cost me something. So why do we share our faith? Those might be the things you walk someone through in a conversation or multiple conversations with someone. But the next question is, why do we share our faith? I love this statement by uh, J. Max Stiles in his book on evangelism. He says this, sharing our faith is for our benefit, too, so that we might gain a full understanding of the good things we have in Christ." The Bible says that among all the good reasons to share our faith, one of them is what happens in us. So in his book on this topic, he tells a story about a man named Farshid who is from the country of Iran. And this man, Farshid, is a Christian. And one day, Max Stiles and Farshid are having lunch in South Africa. And Farshid begins to tell tell him and share with him 
that things are getting very difficult in Iran. And he says it's a matter of time before he gets arrested for sharing his faith. Then he goes back to Iran. So imagine that for a moment. He knows if he goes back to Iran, his home country, and keeps sharing his faith, that he's going to get arrested. And yet he goes back to his country and keeps on sharing his faith. And sure enough, on Christmas Day one year, he's arrested, and the charge was treason against the Islamic State of Iran, and he was sentenced to six years in prison. He has a wife and two small children, and they, f- they fled to a Turkish refugee camp. When he's able to get a letter sent out of prison, he continually asks his friends to pray that he be bold and clear about the gospel. So he is doing in prison the same thing that got him thrown into prison. And it reminds me of Paul and his boldness. Because when Paul is in prison, and he's in prison for preaching the gospel, instead of praying for God to get him out of prison like I might be doing, what does he do? He prays for strength to get the gospel to go out of that prison. And he's ministering to people while he's in prison, doing the very thing in prison that got him thrown in there in the first place. So I want to encourage you with that, knowing that you and I struggle with fear when it comes to sharing our faith, but know that there are people all over the world sharing their faith in really harsh circumstances that are risking their lives for the gospel. And I find that very humbling to know that I often don't share my faith out of some social pressure or social fear, and yet God says, Jesus says, I am with you always. He is with us, and his presence is with us. So may our lives be directed by that kind of faith and not be lived